probably one of the most reoccurring problems I run into in pastors of smaller churches is that they have the wrong people in their church boards, whether you call them elders, whether you call them deacons, whether you call them a session, whether you call them a leadership team, they got the wrong people in that position. And a lot of that goes back to how do people get in church boards and congregations that vote people in and stuff. They'll tend to look for someone that's a successful business person, or the pastor will look for someone that's a successful business person. And that doesn't mean that you can't be a successful business person and be an awesome board member. But when we put people in positions for faulty and weak reasons, it's just a recipe for disaster. And it happens constantly. Welcome, my friend. This is the weekend edition of the Coaching for Pastors podcast. Hey, my friend, this is the 24th weekend edition episode. And this is the first time I think I'm repeating a guest. I have Dave Jacobs on today. Not the same episode if you just heard him recently on the 200 Churches podcast, episode 398. This is a completely different episode where we talk about a Second Thoughts book. Second Thoughts, 100 Things Small Church Pastors Need to Reconsider. Now, understanding that today, 70% of churches in America are under 100 people. This really applies to so many of you listening, seven out of 10 of you. And honestly, what we talk about today, it just applies. If you're a pastor, it applies to you. But he's got 100 things here, his Second Thoughts book. We're dealing with number 75, reconsider what the church growth experts have told you. And then he's basically got six things where he says, we've been told this, we've been told this, we've been told this. Now, our conversation doesn't rise to the level of authority that Jesus had when he said in the book of Matthew, you've heard that it's been said, but I say to you, yeah, we don't claim that authority, but basically we're just talking about the things that we've long heard and believed as pastors about church growth. And Dave challenges some of those, and he and I have a conversation about it. So this is my conversation with Dave Jacobs from smallchurchpastor.com. Coach Jacobs, welcome to the Coaching for Pastors podcast. And I actually have a real-life coach to join me today. Wow. I guess I guess you're referring to me. I am. Okay, good. Glad to Intr- be here. It's going to be fun. Introduce yourself. My name is Dave Jacobs, and I was a pastor for way too long. No, that's not true. For 30 years in five different churches, and um, I think it was uh, 2006 that I retired and started Small Church Pastor, uh, an organization that uh, provides coaching and uh, consulting and resources and encouragement uh, for pastors. But I specialize in uh, smaller churches. And so I'm what they call a pastoral coach. It's the only thing I do. I've been doing it full time for 15 years. And I don't know when uh, you and I met, but it was a, quite a while ago. And we've been friends and, you know, done a lot of podcasts together. And so we always have a, a good time when we connect up. The problem with meeting with you is we tend to laugh too much. 
And then we, <laughs> we just, then we have to say, come on now, let's, you know, we got to do something here, you know? Oh, but, Dave, uh, do, do you remember the time that you and me and Johnny recorded together in Johnny's conference room? And yeah. we, I, I tell you, we were going to get so many episodes recorded because we were live. We're going to, man, we're going to crush this thing. We're live. We're all in the same room together. And I, I think we got, we wanted to do four. I think we only got two done because. I know we were like crying, laughing. You we know? just like shaking, around and you're shaking and you can't really <laughs> breathe well, you know? Oh um, man. But you know, you said, we said in, uh, Another podcast episode that you and I recorded, we talked about uh, we need to reconsider this thing about wasting time, yeah. where sometimes it's okay to waste some time. We, you know, we're not just, you know, we're not human doings, we're human beings. We just need to yes. be. And that's what we, that's what the three of us were doing that day. We were just hanging out together. And it was like, you had, know, when, you, when your cheeks start to ache, you know, then, then, you know, you're laughing too much. Like that Barbie doll from Toy Story, right? You know? Oh, yeah. Oh, man, my jaws are killing me. I've been laughing (laughs) way too hard. (laughs) Well, Dave, uh, thanks for joining me today. I I like to tell people, they say, well, uh, what what are these weekend editions that you do? And I tell them, well, I try to find a ministry expert to talk about ministry from their particular, uh, you know, skill set or vantage point. You you called me instead. So I, I know, but every time I get on with somebody, if I say, I don't, I don't want to say that to them because they don't want to claim to be a ministry expert because who wants to actually say that they're a ministry expert? Like nobody really does. Nobody <laughs> feels like they, and if they do want to say that, yeah, I probably don't want to talk to them. So right. you're, so you're good. You're good. But you've got this book that you wrote called second thoughts. 100 things small church pastors need to reconsider. Yeah. Now, Dave, you've been around for a long time in ministry, and pastors can't pull anything over on you. Uh, we, <laughs> we said this earlier. You can't kid an old kidder, and you're one of them. And you write about these things that pastors should reconsider. Uh, so I'm just flipping through the book. Number 52, reconsider burnout versus rust out. I like that. We're, we should talk about that one. Maybe, maybe we'll go back to it if we have time, but we particularly set aside number 75 for this episode where you say, reconsider what the church growth experts have told you Mm. now. And as I read that, Dave, it just hits me right in the moment. Yeah. What has happened in a lot of large churches and how some of these mega churches Mega churches have their own issues. Small okay. churches have their own issues. All churches have their own issues. And uh, this, none, none of us needs to be telling the other one, hey, this is how you do it, or this is what must be done. But the truth is, for a long time, small church pastors have had this low self-esteem, low yeah. self-confidence, you know, lo- low self-image. And, you know, we kind of go with our, with our admittance fee hat in hand to these large church conferences, like we're the people that need to learn something from them. And I'm excited to say that in the last, at least last five years, uh, there's been all, most of these conferences now are starting to bring small church pastors in 
to speak. You're seeing a shift? Yes. In fact, uh, Carl Vaders is one who's oh, yeah. actually on on the on the speaker list at the um, Purpose Driven Church conferences lately. Okay. Uh, and I don't know that he's a main main event or a main stage speaker, but he's in there doing workshops and seminars for you know most of the pastors there are small church pastors. So so you're right, I got to stop talking because I'll talk all day, but reconsider what the church growth experts have told you. So right. unpack that a little bit, Dave. You got a number of things in here. The church growth uh, movement came out of uh, Fuller and uh, I think his name was McGavern. A lot of different people were representing this kind of movement and sharing with pastors of all sized churches how to grow their church. And so they would study certain growing large churches and they, they found certain um, areas that they all had in common, and these became certain principles. And then the pastors of smaller churches would go to the conferences or read the books and have drilled into them, uh, dare I say, beaten into them, these certain you know, principles that if I, just, if I just do what the experts say, then I'm going to see what the experts have seen. Mm. In this chapter, I just identified some of the things that has come out of the church growth movement. I'm not down on the church growth movement. I know you're not either, you know, Jeff. Right, right. Um, there's a lot of great stuff has come out of it, and a lot of stuff that has really frustrated pastors of smaller churches, and a lot of stuff that, in my opinion, works in a larger church, but is not necessarily going to work in a smaller church. And so the, the challenge is to find out, what applies if I'm going to expose myself to one of these quote unquote experts? What did we used to say? You swallow the meat, spit out the bones. I, I, yeah. I want to figure out what applies to my unique situation, not just the size of my church, the makeup of my church, the geographical location of my church. All of these things have to be taken into consideration in determining of, of these principles that we've been told, whether or not they fit for my church or not. But I, I still hear them communicated from the mouths of the pastors that I work with. And that's why I wrote this, this chapter, to just, we need to reconsider some of these things. Dave, rarely is it that a pastor, that a, that a man or a woman can grow a church, like a large church and a large healthy church, and then go to another state and do the same thing. They almost never can do that. Exactly. you got some guy... Oh my gosh, it goes from 20 to 200 to 2,000 in, you know, 20 months. And he's yeah. the latest thing. And then so now, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go do it again someplace else. And it fails miserably. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, it and it does. Now, then you've got a guy like Craig Rochelle okay. who breaks all the rules and doesn't fit in any of our columns. But he's figured out a way to plant churches in other states. But... It's it's such a different approach. He doesn't actually go there and try and do what he did in this state and take it to the next state, okay. because even towns, even I, so, I moved from Northwest Iowa to Central Iowa. There's a lot of similarities. They're they're, they're Iowans, right? There's the, there's a lot of similarities, but there are some major significant differences, and I have to do things differently. And I could have, and I did say, and on the inside. I said, "Hey, I've been in the state of Iowa for 14 years. Yeah. I was, I, you know, I 
led a church for 14 years, and I left it, and it was healthy, and it's still going well. But when I got to the next church, well, roll the dice on whether I can do the same things in the same way. Right. I really can't. And so it really takes work for a pastor to work in his community, to learn the community, to research the community, to be wise and skilled about the community, the demographics, the people. It takes work to get into people's homes and to talk to people and to get to know people. It's about the people and it's about the community. It's not about you. Yeah. And you have to fit into their mold. They, they're not going to fit into your mold. If they yeah. fit into your mold, you're going to find all the kinds of people that just want to fit in somebody's mold. Yeah. You know, they'll come, they'll, they'll fill your seats. And then when you leave, what, what are you going to leave behind? Right. So, okay. So I got off on a little bit of a tangent there. I'm no, sorry, but you, you've got the, you got six. We've been told, I don't know. We'll get to all six, but the first one is we've been told by the church growth experts that the back door can be closed. Right. When we're talking about the back door, what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about people coming in, but then we don't, we don't lock them in. We don't uh, assimilate them into the church, and then they go right out the back door, and, they're, and, the, and then they're gone. And this was like a, a kind of a foundational thing that we were taught, that you've got to, you know, there'd be workshops on how to close the back door. You've got to close the back door. It's one thing to get people to come in the front door, but you've got to close that back door or they're going to leave. I just believe that, and, and I know this sounds crazy, I don't think you can close the back door. Now, that doesn't mean that we should that it should be wide open. We've got to discover ways to hold on to the people who join us, but you're just not going to hold on to them all. They're going to they're going to slip away, but we'll we'll spend all this uh, energy, how do I close the back door? When I think we should say if we could just keep that door ajar, we're going to do pretty good. I think this reflects a problem that I see in a lot of churches is they don't have a strategy for holding on to people. Just because you might say, well, I'm not going to worry about the back door. That doesn't mean you're not responsible to have a strategy to hold on to people. Just the opposite. How do we intend to hold on to people? Are we clear about what that is? What is our plan? Have we thought it through? And then is it working? Or do we see what might be... I don't know how to judge this, but maybe a higher percentage of people slipping out that back door than needs to happen. I think that's the real issue. What is our strategy? I think it's easier to get someone to come through your front door than to get them to come back again. I think that first visit is easier than the second and the third visit. Hmm. Because now we're dealing with how do we retain? It's not just reach, but how do we retain? And what is our plan for doing that? Are we regularly evaluating that plan to see if it's working? So that, that's that's what I mean by the the whole, you know, the back door can be closed. Yeah, and, and some people are not ready. You may do everything right, you know, with that visitor, with that first-time guest. You might do everything right from taking them the cookies and milk and welcoming them into the community <laughs> and, you know, finding them a seat, introducing them to people like them. Just all this, you might do everything right, but but they're just not ready. And maybe God's not working in their heart, they're resisting, or they're just not at that point yet where they're ready to be a part of a church. But they come once. We can't blame ourselves 
when somebody doesn't come back and think, oh, what's wrong with the church? We have to change our church because that person didn't right. come back and the back door is wide open. Yeah. No, not really. Maybe not they just, yeah, they just weren't ready. And especially with people that, you know, we talk about transfer growth. Let's say somebody moves into your town and they were churched. I'm not talking about the church hopper. Okay. I'm talking about the person that is, that is genuinely new. They're, they're typically churched people. They're believers and they're shopping around, you mm. know, so one thing to be a shopper, it's a different thing to be a hopper. The hoppers, oh, they have, yes. you know, they have a long history of going from one church to another. And so for the shopper, we have to realize that our church is not going to be a good fit for every, you know, and, and that's right. okay. And to even tell people that visit our church that, hey, you know, uh, why don't you hang out with us for a while? Let's get together for a coffee. Let's get to know each other. Maybe our church won't be a good fit for you. Maybe it will be, but let's talk. We want to think that our church is going to attract everybody. It's not. It's just not going to yeah. be a good fit for everybody. All we have to do is look in the rearview mirror, and there's evidence that that's true. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's so true. That's good. I've realized now I've been in ministry for years, and yeah, people are going to leave. They're going to leave. And what I've started doing, I'm watching who's coming. Yeah, of course, we're all watching who's going, and we reach out to them. And But I'm not going to focus on the people that are leaving, but I want to see who's coming and who's staying. And then I want to, at least to my leadership, I keep a list for our monthly meeting agenda. Okay. And it's a list of new people that I want us to pray about. And that list keeps growing because every time somebody comes, then if they're there for two or three times, then I add them to that list. So people, what are the leaders focused on? They're focused on the people that are coming. Yeah. Otherwise, if I don't intentionally focus them on the people that are coming, they'll focus on the people that are leaving. And that's wow. and that'll just you know, increase the percentage of people leaving. Yeah, well, it, it it's a losing proposition because Very good. people Very are going to leave. They have all kinds of different reasons. Yeah. You know, and some of them don't all go out the back door. Some of them go out the window. Some of them go down through the basement and out the window. Some of them go up the chimney. I mean, they almost never tell us, you know. No, everyone, no. If you make someone mad enough, they'll send a nasty email, you know. Um, but usually people disappear and we really don't know. Now, if, if we started hearing that people weren't staying for the same reason, mm. well, then, mm -hmm. then that might be good to look at. But that's usually Excellent. not the case. That's usually yeah. not the case. Yeah, that's good. And, and again, this is we're we're Dave. We're assuming that people are we're following up on people. We're caring for people. We're asking how we can help, and we're not just ignoring people as they as they leave. I mean, very good. Very those good. are all a given. So, yeah. so another one you've got on here is that we've been told we've been told that, that teaching on stewardship will result in increased giving. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, we've been told that, you know, and we've been trying that, but it never seems to, you know, work. It's it's funny. Uh, what did they say once that uh, if if you're a hammer, you see everything as a nail. You know, mm -hmm. if you're a preacher, you see the answer to everything is a good sermon. All I have to do to, you know, change my people's minds and get them into serving or inviting their friends or stewardship. I just got I'm going to do a three part series on stewardship and that's going to do it. I know there must be uh, exceptions to what I'm about to say, 
But I've never personally, I've never known a church that saw a good sermon or teaching on, you know, stewardship resulting in an increase in giving that stuck. What I will hear is say, well, you know, the giving did go up for like three weeks after I did that sermon. And then it kind of dropped back down. If we see the answer to every challenge that we face in the church in a simplistic way, by that I mean a good sermon and teaching on it, uh, we're going to be disappointed. We have to look at issues like stewardship in a broader way, a more holistic way. How do we change people into being givers, into being volunteers, into being inviters? It ain't going to happen because of a good sermon or only because of a good sermon. I think the good sermon's got to be in the mix someplace there. We've literally been told uh, by the quote-unquote experts that you correct a problem with stewardship by teaching on stewardship. And I, I've just never seen it happen, you know, and stick. What about you? That's the easy part. I think that's the easy part, given a, given a message. Even putting together a good message is the easy part. The hard part is the other 160 plus hours a week where, you know, you're doing what Matthew 28 says, uh, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Yeah. Um, that's, that's hard. What, what Paul said about how he's, he works, uh, oh, and there in Colossians beginning of chapter two, how he works so hard that people would come to a, you know, a knowledge of wisdom and knowledge and, and he strives with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I think he says that's a, that's a lot of work involved there. And it's more than just a, more than just a message, it's, it's tra- life transformation and and uh, helping people grow in their walk with with Jesus. So we just have to have a bigger strategy. If if, if we're really going to like focus on things like stewardship, we have to have a larger strategy than that. How then do we account for all of the poor churches? By poor, I mean financially, people aren't giving, and smaller churches where the pastor does preach on giving. Most pastors do preach on it, although a lot of pastors are afraid of teaching on it. Um, but I, I just think, you know, it's not going to get done by one good sermon a year. You know, you, whatever you want to create, you've got to duplicate time after time after time. If you want people to be inviters and includers, you got to teach on it over and over and over again. And, you know, whatever your values are for the church, those values have to be communicated from the pulpit over and over and over again. You never can quit talking about your values. Most churches would say stewardship is a value of theirs. You can never stop talking about it because people left to themselves drift away from the values of an organization rather than drift towards them. It's just true. I don't care what organization you're talking about. Unless there's a plan to reinforce the values, things are going to cool off. Things are going to drift away. There has to be a plan, and it has to go beyond just a good sermon series. And that's hard work. It is hard work to come up with other strategies and other ways to do these things. And I think we have to step out of the programmed way of thinking and step out of the church building and go to somebody's house and ask yourself, okay, how do I help this person to understand that everything they have is the Lord's? And that stewardship is an important part of their life. Or to talk with your leaders and to say, if a law was passed, 
that uh, that said pastors can't speak on stewardship. How then would you promote stewardship and uh, generosity and a, a biblical view of your possessions and all this kind of stuff? How would we get people to be generous with their money if we couldn't use the pulpit to do it? That would be an interesting evening of discussion, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, it really would be. Well, we'd have classes on it. No, no, no. You, you can't do anything like that. You can't do a class. You can't teach, whether it be in a classroom or in the pulpit. How are you going to create a generous people? What an interesting evening of discussion that would be. What an interesting approach that would have to be as well, mm-hmm. that, that, mm-hmm. that would come out of that evening. Yeah. Well, as interesting as that is, the next one, Dave, we've been told We've been told that if you work really hard, you can grow your church. I personally have never met a lazy pastor. I, I don't doubt that they're not out there. But I've, I mean, my big problem in working with pastors is I think they're working too hard. I think they're putting in too many hours. And, it, it, and it's, it's not good for their soul. It's not good for their family. It's not good for their church. That's what I think reality is. And if that's true, if most pastors, and I believe it's true, are hard workers, then how do we, how do we explain the fact that's, that the vast majority of churches in the United States are smaller churches? Not that we want to get into this, Mr. Small Church Pastor, but yeah. what's wrong with a small church? There you go. Don't get me started. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I think it was Carl Vaders that wrote something like, you know, if if small churches were so terrible, God wouldn't have planted so many of them. <laughs> I thought he's something to that effect. I thought that's a really good point, Carl. I don't want to get sidetracked, but if any of you are listening today and you don't know who Carl Vaders is, go to Carl Vaders, uh, Carl with a K, CarlVaders.com. Um, this guy just puts out consistently great stuff. And if you don't know about Carl, you need to buy all his books and listen to his podcasts. And if he's ever speaking someplace near you, you need to go listen to him, you know, because he's great. Yeah. And that's Carl with a K, but Vader's is V as in Victor, A, yeah. T as in Tom, E, R, S, Vaters. CarlVaters.com. Yeah. Does he still have NewSmallChurch.com? I bet he does. If you went to NewSmallChurch.com, it'd probably kick you over to carlvaders.com. I think, so. I think he's doing most of his stuff now through carlvaders.com. Yeah. So he and you, I think came in the same year, 2013, Dave, is when we started the podcast in January. Oh, really? Yeah. And I think within that first year, you, you and him joined us. Yeah. Okay. So it's been a while. This, this whole assumption that if you work hard, your church is going to grow. That's a tremendous burden for the pastors of our churches to live under. Not only is it a heavy burden, it just doesn't work. You know, it would be one thing if it was a heavy burden, but it worked. But it's a heavy burden and it don't work. Mm, yeah. You know? But we're still living under that. Is it working smarter, not harder? I think so. You know, that's kind of a, a cliche these days, but I, I think it's, it's really true. You know, discover what you should be giving your time to. Discover what you're passionate about. Discover what are the real big needs in your church and try to focus on doing a few things well and either don't do the other stuff or delegate the other stuff. Otherwise, you're just going to go nuts and your family's going to go nuts and your spouse is going to go nuts 
So, you know, work smart rather than hard. That's one of the things I help, you know, pastors with. How do you, how can you work smart? You know, figure out how that is and, you know, and do it. The same thing is true if you're t- t- talking about a church in general. The church as an organization and as it's organized with different programs and ministries, the church can't do everything. The church has to work smart, not hard. And the smaller the church, the fewer things you can really do. And you've just got to be okay with that. It would be better for you to do three things really well than six things half-baked. It's really true. It is smart. Of course, we want to do everything smarter, not harder, I suppose. But but then there's a there's another part of it where it's it's a mystery. It's just a mystery. Every church is different. Every church is. Every group of people, every small group, every Bible study, every home church, they're all different. And there's not one that's that's better than the other because inherently it's better than the other. Yeah, that's what it they're comes all, They're just different. Yeah. They're different. And I, I, you know, I guess I could repeat that 50 more times, and just say every church is different. But I just, I want people to understand the value in every single church, that unique fingerprint that every single church has. And I hate to see any pastor feeling like a failure or dejected or, you know, low self-image or self-esteem because of their particular church. You're racing against yourself. You got to do better than you did yesterday. We're, we're only right. playing against ourselves. Right, right. You know, if we ran a mile, we run 1.1 today or whatever it is. So you try to do better than you did. You keep growing. And as you grow, then God God takes care of the results of your church. Because if you're if you're ministering to somebody, they're glad they're in your church. They're happy. Right. Right. And the people that are there, they're there because they want to be there. If they didn't want to be there, they'd they'd stay home. Especially now, they got to take a break for a couple months, a couple years ago. And yeah. if they're still at your church, it's because they want to be. Unless your church is incredibly dysfunctional. Most churches are not incredibly dysfunctional. Most churches, they are doing some good stuff. So let's feel good about that. Let's focus on that. How can we do more of what we're doing that's good? And then maybe add some things you know, when we have the resources to add. But if we can only do three things well, let's just do those three things as good as we possibly can do and be okay with that, feel good about ourselves. I know that a church can have a poor self-image, just like a pastor can have a poor self-image. And I wonder how many times the Father in Heaven looks down upon that church that has the poor self-image, not the chronically uh, dysfunctional, but the, the, the normal church with a poor self-image, I wonder how many times the father looks down and says, I don't know what your problem is. I'm happy with you. I said that just the other day to a ministry leader in my church. I think what you've done has been a huge success. I look at this and this and this. And they said, no, it hasn't. It's been a huge failure. I feel like a failure. Yeah. And that they told me why again. And basically, I told them, times change, the world changes, culture changes, we can't do things like we did 30 years ago. But yeah. look at what is going on today because of what you've done over the years. It doesn't look the same as you did it, you know, what we're doing it 10 years ago. But look what's still happening. And I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for you. But boy, they just were, it, it, they did not handle change real well. And yeah. 
they were, I think they were the type of a person who just by nature, they see the glass half empty and, and that's fine. I mean, that's you either do or you don't. And is you can try and change that, but you know, God makes us the way we're made and us half glass, half full people need glass, half empty people around yeah. and we balance each other out. Um, but I really wanted them to see that, that there, there was success there. So we kind of got off a little bit. I, maybe I got off about if you work really hard, you can grow your church. It's not about us. It's about God. And right. it's not about working hard. And there's just, there's just so many variables in that. It's just not a yeah, good, really not a good are. maxim. Yeah, so that's, that's good. Here's another one, Dave. We've been told great preaching and great music will bring great growth. Oh yeah, I've heard, I've heard the big the big shots, you know, back of the church growth movement say that, and and also it just doesn't seem to be true. Um, I mean, I, I'm also a preaching coach. I listen to a lot of pastors that are like really good. Somebody once said though, uh, and I was intrigued by it. You don't have to be a great preacher. You just have to be good enough. Hmm. There are there are very few great communicators. Now, a lot of pastors might think they're great, but they're just good enough. The truth of the matter, you know, is they're just good enough. You just have to be good enough. You don't have to be a great leader. You just have to be good enough to get the job done. I go back to this thing. I was watching this one church online, small church, maybe 40 people. They had probably the best online presence and best worship experience that I've ever seen, even of the large churches that have a budget for a multimedia guy and have the big old band and everything. And yet they've been around 40 for years after years. And I know the pastor and his uh, wife who, who teach on a regular basis, man, they're great communicators. They're great. They're not just good enough. These are like, wow, you know, they're really, really good. And mm. if that was true, then why would there still be so many churches that have great preaching, or at least good enough preaching, and good enough music, but they're not seeing the growth. That might have been true at some time. I'm not even sure it was true at some time. It just once again, you know, you, you see these big, huge churches that have grown, and they usually revolve around a great personality who is a great communicator. They would be a great communicator, whatever they did, or they're a great leader. They could own a, a business and the business would succeed because they're just a great leader. Some of these huge churches that we've seen at the top of the ladder, there's just a, 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 a very unusually gifted person. Most of us are not that way. We're just okay. We're just good enough. But those are the ones that write the books. Those are the ones that speak at the conferences. And so, you know, and they tell us how, you know, I focused on preaching and great music um, and, and, and so we buy that, the small church pastor buys that and says, okay, I really got to focus on, you know, preaching and we got to do something about, you know, our, our music. And so a lot of times they just don't have the uh, resources to do anything about their music, but they'll try it and it doesn't really result. And so now I'm bummed out. Now I'm, you know, frustrated now I'm, you know, trying to figure out what else is wrong with me. Once you get to that place, you're going to start finding things. Well, it's either my fault personally as the pastor or it's my church's fault. And, you know, so now I'm 
bugged at my people because my church isn't growing, or I'm looking down on myself because I'm not great. And it, it's just a recipe for a, a problem with your mental health. Well, I've got two words in response to all that. Tell me. Dallas Willard. Okay. Dallas Willard. If, you, if you're struggling with this, get one of Dallas Willard's books, read it, and then we'll come and talk because yeah. he's, um, you know, great preaching and great music. No, I mean, it's fine if you could, if you can do that, that's great, but you better have people, you better have people in your crowd that love other people. You yeah. better have people that are inviting people, you know, you better have a follow. I mean, you, there's a lot of stuff you have to have. And Dave, I love what you said. These really big churches, they're just, they're just exceptional leaders. Yeah. They're, there are some exceptional leaders, like you said, they can start a business and they would run a great business because they've got that, they've just got that gifted mind and those talents that they can, they can spin all these different plates at once and train others to do the same thing. And so many of us pastors, we're just not that exceptional of leaders. I and know, we're just good enough. You know? I mean, and we're going to have a church of 50 or 100 or 150 or 200 or whatever. And, you know, we always look at a church that's about 50 or a hundred more than ours. And we think, Oh, wow, boy, we could ever get to that. You know, 50 or I need to get to 50 or a hundred more. And you're like, Oh man, if we just get 50 or a hundred more, it it literally never stops. What people don't realize is the pastor of a church of 2000 is thinking that way too. How do we, how do we get to 3000? Oh Yeah. I've actually heard somebody, I don't know if it's Kerry Newhoff or, or who it was, somebody in the kind of the trending department, you know, trends yeah, yeah. and futuristic stuff. And, and he was saying that they used to say that great preaching, great music will build your church. It's really not true anymore <laughs> because of the culture. No. Yeah. In fact, smaller people want smaller, more intimate settings. They want meaningful, more contemplative practices. They want, they want to go back to candles and liturgy and they don't, they they don't want the big crowds. So Dave, we've also been told that people with a background in business are the best people to have on your church board. Oh Hmm. Lordy. Oh Lordy. That sounds, sounds like a good thing. Probably one of the most reoccurring problems I run into in pastors of smaller churches is that they have the wrong people in their church boards. Whether you call them elders, whether you call them deacons, uh, whether you call them a session, whether you call them a leadership team, they got the wrong people in that position. And a lot of that goes back to how do people get in church boards and, you know, congregations that vote people in and stuff, they'll tend to look for someone that's a successful business person or the pastor will look for someone that's a successful business person. And that doesn't mean that you can't be a successful business person and be an awesome board member. But when we put people in positions for faulty and weak reasons, uh, it's just a recipe for disaster. And it happens constantly. I mean, I've talked to people, you know, I got a problem with my elder. So I'll say, uh, tell me about that. And they'll, they'll tell me about this elder. And either I'll say, or at the very least, I'll just think to myself, how did this person ever get into a position of leadership? 
And then you find out they're a business leader. They're a business leader. They're big givers. They're influential. They're part of a big family. You you could really substitute it for, for anything, you know, that, you know, it's not just the background in business. But the church is a business and it's not a business. In many regards, it has to be run like a business, but the bulk of what it does is not a business. It's kind of like the church has to be run like a business in the background, but in the foreground, the church is a whole different kind of organization. So you need a different kind of person, you know, that is on a team that's in in leadership than a business, you know, type of, of person. Because it's it's similar, but it's different. And it's so different that putting someone who's a successful businessman in there, for that reason alone, you're just you're just asking for trouble. You know, I've had both. I've had uh, business people that don't make a good board member, and I've had business people that make a great board member. Yeah. It's oh, yeah. more Yeah, it's more about the person. There's just two things I'd say on this, Dave. Number one, better to not have another board member than to have the wrong board member. Oh, boy. It's so true. If you if there's not somebody to nominate or to select or to a point, that just stick with what you have. And I've had some say, well, yeah, but 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 Dave, you know, our bylaws say that we got to have five people on our elder board. Mm-hmm. And and I'll say, okay, now you understand, don't you, that if you have three people on your elder board, the FBI are not going to come breaking down your door and taking you to prison. You know, nobody knows what you're doing. Nobody in your church probably knows what your bylaws say in regards to this. I'd rather you have three and wait until you can find a great candidate for elder than to put a couple people in because the bylaws say so. You know, I totally agree with you, Jeff. I know I I would rather, especially in like a church plant situation, um, uh, I would rather there not be a board and the major decisions are run by the pastor who has an advisory committee, maybe outside yeah. of the church, other pastors that he could run ideas through. I would rather have the pastor make all the decisions than have a board of four or five people that are going to blow up the church, don't like the pastor. They don't know what they're doing. They're not spiritually mature, you know. And a lot of times in church planting, because I've, plant, I've planted three churches in my 30 years, and two of them, uh, I, I didn't start out with a group of elders. It was just, you know, me and my wife, and we made the decision. But we were in relationship with a lot of other wise pastors who we would be accountable to and who would make sure we weren't about to step off a cliff or do something stupid. And then as soon as I had one great candidate, well, now we had two elders. And, and then, you know, the two elders would find a third and then, you know, and that would take time. But I, I just love how you said it would just be better to have three that are good than, than five, but two of them aren't good. Yeah. And we just had that, Dave, just a couple of years ago, we had one elder less than what our bylaws said we had to have a minimum oh, amount okay. of. Yeah. And, and it was the same thing. And I just said, well, and some, you know, you could argue that there were guys in the church that were qualified. Yeah, they were, but for whatever reason, they weren't knocking on the door to be an elder. And, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's it's okay. It's fine. But you will have people in your church at times that will grab the bylaws, that will read them, and that will come, and they will point to you chapter and verse, 
and you're going to have to deal with that. And your your leadership needs to be uh, needs to be united on a response on those kinds of things. And Dave, I agree with you too. You know, they're in our bylaws, uh, but a bylaw like that should have um, what do you call it? The clause that there that there are sufficiently qualified people to choose from, and if there's not, well then and you know. spell out what sufficiently qualified means. Yeah. And, and so that's the second thing I wanted to say about, about elders is that, and I didn't always do this, but I've been doing this for the last number of years, is yeah. I look at a guy who is already an elder except in name. They're already doing these things. They're already leading. They're already an example. They're already in a small group. They're already involved in a ministry somewhere. They're already giving. You know, They're already an elder. We just haven't given them the title. Right. Th- those are the kind of guys I look for. I don't look for people that I can try to make into an elder because, you know, you can do that, but you, you don't make them an elder until they're elder material. One, uh, one leader, in fact, I think it was uh, John Wimber who uh, founded uh, the Vineyard Movement. I was in the Vineyard Movement for 15 of my 30 years. Um, and Wimber said, you know, how do you pick an elder? Find who's elding. How do you pick, you know, a deacon? Mm-hmm. Find who's deaking and then approach them. And that's exactly what you're saying here. You know, who stands out to you? But do you know what you're looking for? Just because someone gives regularly doesn't mean they're going to be a good elder. So we have to, the pastor has to work through with his leadership team, what exactly are the qualifications we're looking for? How will we discover those qualifications in said candidate's uh, life? And if we don't have those kind of people, we wait until we do. And so we explain to our people, yes, our bylaws say five, but we can't pull that off right now. We can only pull off three. As soon as we can pull off four, we will. As soon as we can pull off five, we will. I was cleaning out one of my cupboards underneath my bookshelves in my office the other day, and I found my copy of Robert's Rules of Order. Yeah, that's where it starts. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So, and that's, it's actually the 67th book of the Bible. <laughs> book of Roberts, Roberts Rules of Order. Dave, there's so many more things in this book and even in this chapter that we don't have time for. So I want to point people to the book again, Second Thoughts, 100 Things Small Church Pastors Need to Reconsider. What a great resource, a hundred different things. And I mean, it's great food for thought and food for evaluating your ministry with. Dave, recently you were on the podcast several months ago, and you made an offer to uh, our listeners about some free coaching. And particularly for those who have never done pastoral coaching before. Uh, Do you want to share that again uh, with our listeners? Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, uh, Yeah, you know, I'm a full-time pastoral coach. It's what I've been doing for the last 15 years. We're hearing more and more about pastoral coaches, but still a lot of people wonder, what exactly is it? What does it, you know, what does it mean? What does it look like? I'm kind of interested in it. This is what I would like to offer to our listeners, you know, today. Um, I'd like to offer you four 45-minute coaching calls for free and Mm -hmm. where you could just see if, if, you know, if you benefit from it, you could experience firsthand what someone like myself does when they're coaching pastors if you're interested, you've got nothing to lose here, you know, no strings attached. 
All you have to do is email me at scpcoaching at gmail.com, scpcoaching at gmail.com. Say, Dave, I heard you on the show. I'm interested. And then I'll, I'll take it from there. I'll probably, you know, uh, send you a questionnaire and then uh, to fill out and then send you some of the openings that I have for you to choose from. And we'll just see if you benefit from coaching. But, um, you know, I, I love the people that tune in on this show. Still, nobody does it better than uh, 200 churches and the weekend. What are you calling it? It's not the weekend update. I'm thinking of Saturday Night Live. <laughs> weekend oh, update with Bill Murray. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, this is this is actually Coaching for Pastors, Dave. Yeah. Coaching for Pastors, the weekend edition. There you go. There you go. But you were you were on 200 churches recently. You're on episode 397. So if you want to hear more of Dave, you can go there and listen to it on 200churches.com. Great. Yeah. So Dave, very good. You've, you're offering this uh, this opportunity to experience coaching. And again, if you've never done it, the best, most elite athletes have coaches because they want to get better. They want to stay at the top of their game. And they want to get to the top of their game. Then they want to stay at the top of their game and they can't do it alone. Yeah. And if business leaders and CEOs and doctors, I have a, I have a master dentist. There's actually master dentists. I have one in my church. He goes to coaching and uh, he goes to training all the time. So Dave, you've been doing this for 16 years, which is fantastic because it's not your first rodeo and you can step into a conversation with Dave with a lot of confidence because of that SCP for small church pastor, SCP coaching at gmail.com. Send Dave an email and uh, I'd I'd love to hear Dave. Let me know how many people you get uh, that are, that are biting on that offer. And it just means that it just means they're going to get healthier. Churches are going to get healthier and maybe more little kids like me in those communities are going to get reached. And 50 years from now, there'll be generations that have been changed. And that's that's what keeps me going. And that's awesome. And so Dave, 50 years from now, you and I will probably be dead. You know? So on that positive note. <laughs> Amen, brother. Amen. Yeah. On that positive note, Dave, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Dave Jacobs, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. My friend, you've been listening. I hope that this was encouraging to you. I hope that there was something said that you're going to take away with you, something that you can implement into your ministry. And hey, if you have any inkling at all to take Dave up on his offer, this this is a ministry to you. And the purpose of Coaching for Pastors, the purpose of my 200 Churches podcast, it is to bring ministry encouragement and ministry help to pastors of churches, pastors of all churches, men pastors, women pastors, all denominations, all sizes. Dave Jacobs would be a great help, and I cannot recommend him enough. It's good to talk to you today, and I hope you have a great weekend, and I'll see you on Monday for the Coaching for Pastors podcast.